0: Hello everyone! We are back for sub-episode 6 of Vampire The Chicago Chronicles. This is a Vampire The Chicago Chronicles sub-episode. Sub-episodes are separate stories to the main campaign, focusing on the nightly pursuits and agendas of a single coterie member. While the events that are about to transpire are disconnected from the main arc of the campaign, they may have consequences in the campaign and may even affect the unlives of the entire coterie. Tonight's episode is entitled Mr. Cartwright's Last Scoop and focuses on Alexander Borgre, played by Tom. Before we begin, our standard disclaimer Vampire the Masquerade is a dark game of personal horror. You will hear descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D. It is not Call of Cthulhu. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. In the case of this episode, potentially very, very monstrous. So, let us begin. Alexander Borgra. Last night, you and your coterie began to track down the identity of the person blackmailing you and threatening your touchstones. This eventually led you to dark water security in the Chicago Harbor of the South Side. While water security revealed some of the answers you seek, it did not provide you with all the evidence you need to implicate your enemies. And thus, as your coterie members begin to go about their own business this night, the following night, trying to dig up any more information they can on The mysterious Redwood on Mickey McGee and Walter Nash. You will be attending to your own business. This night, you awaken, as you usually do, just after sunset in your personal haven on the south side. Please rouse the blood as you awaken.
1: 8. Success.
0: You groan as you feel the blood beginning to circulate in your corpse-like body, and you slowly pull yourself up into a sitting position in your bed, looking around at the small, sparsely furnished, but for the last Many, many months of turmoil, surprisingly comfortable shack that you have made into your haven. Your body still aches from the battles last night, and as you awaken, your mind is still reeling with thoughts of the encounter with the Lupine. As you awaken, what is the first thing
1: that you do? Ugh. I inspect my wounds carefully, thumbing each one. Um, damage-wise, I have two superficial. Superficial. Um. Would you like to rouse the blood to patch those up? Uh, do I get uh, do I any automatically close from waking? You have one,
0: leaving one left.
1: Right. Um, I'll rouse the blood.
0: Seven, Seven success. success. Run your hands over your body. There are a cu- couple of minor scuffs and bruises. The escape from the lupine was exhausting, and you must have sustained some damage in the chaos nonetheless you will the blood within your body to flow into the wounds patching them up and they seal themselves shut before your very eyes now that you are fully restored and as fresh as the night of your embrace what would you like to do
1: i Go to my cabin. Did we end up recovering my touchstone? But
0: you did. As you, as you walk around your cabin, you notice that the gardening equipment has not been removed today. Your touchstone has not been able to attend to your garden, as he's likely been in hospital due to the wounds that he sustained when he was assaulted by Redwood's thugs. So, as you step out of your cabin, I'd like you to please make a, uh, we shall say, an intelligence and gardening check. Uh,
1: that was-
0: successes. You step outside into the vacant, converted warehouse lot that now serves as a block of flats where your haven is situated, and to praise the garden that right now sprawls across the front porch and most of the front facade of your haven has not been attended to now for two days and while for a normal garden this would not mean much in the way of overgrowth for your garden raised as it is on kindred vitae it has now overgrown uh the small section of dirt beside the front porch you have set out for it and several of the plants have turned into veritable creepers winding their way across the walls several large sharp thorns about the length of your arm jut out of the huge stems at various points for any mortal walking past this would be a most unusual sight perhaps even a potential masquerade breach
1: I suppose I must get to work then. Um, I am going to rouse the bloods yep. to activate a level two power. Yep, uh, I am going to fuse my i um, going to activate Visistitude to turn my arms into, or well, one arm into a powerful set of shears. Um, redistributing, well actually let's see how many successes I get first. See how so, many successes. So Visistitude Movie. Yep, and then it'd be visit, well, visitude uh, what's that do why is it?
0: Uh, it's, uh, I would visit is your, just your protein that you're rolling um, wait a second,
1: I'll get to, get to the, the bit in the book that has it sorry, it's been a while that's
0: okay, it's okay
1: resolve was protein okay mm-hmm. And that's for the rails there. Yep. Ah, uh, that is a fail. I'm fail. at hunger two. Hunger two. That's fine. But I have one, two, three successes.
0: Three successes.
1: Um, which gives me three points, I'll turn Manifest Claws, which yep. will I'll be using as shears, and then I will redistribute my stamina, stamina to Dexterity in order to give myself as best chance of getting through this quickly as I can. You
0: hear the snapping of your bone sinew as your arms morph and shape into fleshy secateurs. And you get to work, busying yourself, cutting the garden back down to size. It takes you about an hour of work, but eventually you cut the huge vines back down to something resembling the size of a normal plant. You remove all of the long barbs, and as you cut them off, you notice that these barbs are incredibly sharp. In fact... It appears that they are constructed of an organic material, very similar in composition to something of a mixture between wood and bone. You recover three of these huge thorns and they remain intact after you remove them. You realize that in a pinch these could possibly be used as stakes.
1: I'll stash them in my coat. When I'm done, um, I'll browse the blood again to revert the changes to my body. Sure.
0: That is a three. Fair. Fail Hunger Three.
1: Well, that was costly. Yeah.
0: <sighs> when you are done, you step back and you survey your work. And you find that underneath the mass of twisting vines, leaves, and stems, there is something strange, and yet as you see it, you can't help but smile, as it's exactly the type of thing you were hoping to see. Underneath, cradled in the very centre of this massive plant life, It's what appears to be some sort of strange fruit about the size and shape of an apple except it's clearly not an apple rather than the bright red of an apple it is a pinky fleshy color and as for shape it resembles rather than a fruit something of a disgusting fleshy tumour just hanging off one of the vines
1: Mm. I pull a thin knife out of my pocket and slice it off the tree
0: you stick your knife into this fleshy growth Uh, you, you use your knife to slice this fleshy growth and you hear it snap as it breaks off the stem and The part of the stem where you made the incision to remove the fruit, as it were, releases a single drop of crimson liquid that rolls down the side of the stem. Blood.
1: After a moment, I sink my teeth into it.
0: You sink your teeth into the fruit that you hold in your hand. As your fangs pierce the skin, the inside of the fruit collapses in upon itself, breaking apart in your hand into a geyser of blood that rushes down your arm. You lick it up into your mouth and swallow it all. It seems to have no taste, or if it does have a taste, it is extremely bland. It is not quite at the richness that you expected it to be, but it is at least nourishing. You may reduce your hunger by one. Give uh,
1: two. <laughs> so, I take out my notebook. First real success. First real success, indeed. I profess it
0: but you probably want to put more work into it to increase the yield, because first of all. And secondly, yes, add to the flavour. Make the blood more nourishing so that it may serve as an adequate replacement for the need to hunt. And then, speaking of hunting, from inside the shack you hear your phone ringing. It is the specific ringtone that you've set aside to only activate when the caller is Annabelle. It's the 1812
1: Overture. I press the button.
0: Step inside, pick up the phone, sure enough, you see Annabelle's name on the screen. You press the button, hold it to your ear. And she says, Darling! Darling! Your touchstone is in the hospital, uh, if, you didn't, uh, if you didn't know where he was. Uh, I sent my man to check in on him, and they say he is fine. I hope him not being there didn't cause too much uh, inconvenience for uh, our, I mean, your little project.
1: No. There's still work to be done, though. Indeed, she says.
0: Well, I'm calling to, uh, offer my assistance. After all, without your touchstone, your plants probably grew out of control, and that will no doubt be a setback to our project. Don't worry, I... that has been with. Indeed, she says. I'm aware that your coterie uh, currently undertaking their own investigations into who had the goal to threaten, let alone assault, your touchstone. And I thought, uh, as this is a matter close to my heart, darling, that I would assist you. Your coterie have made some progress, but I feel there are leads that they are not taking into account. Leads that perhaps they do not even know about. Darling, she says, here's something you might find interesting. There's a writer, works for the, uh, works for the magazine, the Talitor. It's been popular name in the gutter-trash media since about the 1980s at this point. All sorts of outlandish stories within its pages, UFOs, cults, conspiracies, and, once upon a time, stories of, well, us kindred vampires. And for a time, those stories were remarkably accurate. That is, until a coterie that assisted me in a matter all those decades ago managed to convince Scotty Cartwright to cease publishing stories about the kindred of Chicago, and ever since then Scotty and his rag have been something of a mouthpiece for me. While he no longer publishes stories of the kindred, on pain of death I might add, darling, I use him as my mouthpiece to say whatever it is I wish. If I feel the need to attack one of my rivals who has a particularly notable mask or mien among the mortal society, I simply ask Scotty to publish a story that isn't very flattering to them. All Scotty asks in return is that I keep him appraised of any happenings within kindred society that he might be interested in. Not to publish, mind you, just for his own personal research. And... Furthermore, I provide him with information on some other matters. I told him what lupines are. I told him what mages are, and some fundamentals of how magic works. And these, he's told me, have gone on to sell thousands of copies of his, well, I won't say respectable publication, but you get what I mean, don't you, darling?
1: Perfectly.
0: She says, so, here's where you come in. Somebody out there has information on you, your coterie, your touchstones, and if my sources are correct, they're also uh, also hounding a disgraced member of the Banu Hakim by the name of Walter Nash. Now, I'm quite certain that this information is not coming from Scotty, but there is a writer who works under Scotty, at the, talent, at, the, at the Tell the All, a man by the name of Crespin Perez. Scotty took him on as an intern about a year ago, and he's become a somewhat popular writer of the publication. Adored by the fans, or so I'm told. Well, Mr Perez, as it were, is missing. And the Tell-It-All, for the last several months, has been publishing a series of stories concerning missing persons in Chicago. Missing persons who were never found, who disappeared in unusual circumstances. People who seemingly had no common traits tying them together, save one thing. The places where they disappeared, all of them, within what was once a stronghold of the Sabbat in this city. I see. She says, well, Scotty has contacted me, asking if perhaps some of the kind, feigned folk, as he referred to them, could help him find his wayward intern, and I thought, given the circumstances, that you might be interested in being the one who investigates this. After all, that information about your coterie and your touchstones must have been given to Walter Nash by somebody, if there are indeed Siddharth still active in the city, well, wouldn't that be a perfect way to undermine the Camarilla? Of course, I've already suffered enough indignations in the last few months, darling, I simply cannot face any more, please, go speak to Mr Cartwright. See if he can give you any clues, and please, darling, sort this matter out for me, will you?
1: As you wish, my dear.
0: Before she hangs up, she says... Do you need something to eat, darling? Yes. She says, very well. She says, I feel, considering what happened at Elysium last time you there, we were there, perhaps meeting in person at the Succubus Club is not, not exactly a good idea at the moment. I'll be sending my ghoul along to your haven very shortly with a gift. Please, wait for him. All I ask in return is that you offer some of your own. "'Good luck, darling!' she says in a sing-song voice, and then you hear a click as the phone hangs up. And sure enough, about half an hour later, one of her retainers, this time a slender, a slender, short woman with shoulder-length, auburn hair and remarkably pale skin, almost as white as ivory, Tepidly, tepidly approaches your haven, looking from left to right as if this is the last place she would like to be. Looking extremely nervous, and you can tell by the look at, looks of her that either she is new to being a ghoul, or Annabelle has simply not sent her on any errand outside of downtown Chicago before. She sees you waiting in the doorway of your cabin, and she approaches, and her bottom lip trembles, and she says, "Uh, Alexander? Mr. Borgra Yes, girl. She blushes, gasps, and then reaches into her handbag, and pulls out a medical blood bag. There is no label on it, but you presume that this is Annabelle's blood. Wordlessly holds it out.
1: I stare in the eyes without breaking our, without breaking eye contact. I tear into the bag and drink it dry.
0: You tear into the bag, your veins shredding the plastic, and you lick up all of the blood as it runs down the front of your torso. The ghoul woman just stands there watching, her eyes wide. Perhaps she's never seen a vampire feed before. Perhaps not this savagely. When you're done, you hand her the shredded remains of the blood bag. And she says, Annabelle said you were supposed to fill that with, with... She trails off. She reaches into her I, handbag, and she- I- Yep.
1: Pull at my wrist, and then pin her up to the wall and shove it into her mouth, and I go, Don't swallow, or you'll displease the
0: mistress. She gasps as she- As you press her against the wall, and pour the drop of blood into her mouth, and let her go. Recite the order to her. Do not swallow lest you displease your mistress. And she looks at you, her eyes wide, and then her mouth full, not daring to open her lips. She just just murmurs. "Mm, mm, 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 mm." She shakes her head and then turns around and sprints across the warehouse yard. Turning around the corner as soon as she reaches it and disappearing into the darkness of Southside Chicago. Run my tongue across my wound. Seal your wound. You hope for the girl's sake that she gets back to Annabelle without swallowing too much of this precious gift. Now you have business to attend to. Finding the Talit All Officers should be reasonably easy, but you do have a contact within the Banu Hakim, and if you would like to go about trying to gather any more information about these disappearances, or do any other research, please feel free to suggest alternative routes of action.
1: I've been given orders by the Master and much as I hate being a lapdog. I'll go to the magazine
0: office first. Very well. You hate being a lapdog, but when you serve a member of the Primogen, Even one as flighty and seemingly absent-minded as Annabelle, a lapdog is all you are destined to be. So, you were not given an address by Annabelle, but if this magazine is particularly notable, then it shouldn't be too hard to track it down. I'd like you to please make an intelligence investigation check.
1: One success. One success. Two ones, though. Yeah, two
0: ones. No, it's fine. They don't cancel successes out. So, pull some street directories out of your out of your bookshelf, flip through them, and then you head up the street to a corner store, and you enter. There, sure enough, at the magazine rack, you find the tell it all for sale on the front page there's a huge bold headline in red impact font stating 12th disappearance latest in a nightmarish string is this the work of monsters of the night you snatch it out of the magazine rack
1: and I hand the money to the teller
0: Hand the money to the teller, and he just takes it wordlessly and absent-mindedly watches you leaning against the cigarette cabinet as you flip through the magazine. And sure enough, there, on the very last page, are details of its publication, including an address, a street number for the offices. It is in downtown Chicago. Not. Not in the very centre of downtown, no, that would make it a respectable publication on par with the Chicago Tribune, no, it doesn't share real estate with such a prestigious publication, it is merely on the edge of downtown, just enough in, just enough into the city to require its employees to engage in a commute from outside, but not enough in the city for it to be considered a... For it to be considered a place that many credible people, let alone kindred, would visit on any given night. I visit, I must.
1: I take my sedan and drive it to the place of publication.
0: Yeah. So you climb into your car, turn on the engine and guide it through the through the worn down streets of Southside Chicago, the signs of urban decay visible all around you until you see the glass pillars of light ahead of you, the skyscrapers that form the skyline of downtown Chicago. You won't be traveling that far, but you pull off the overpass and begin to make your way into the fringes of downtown. And sure enough, you come to the offices of the Tallet Hall, a triple story red brick building at the very end of a cul-de-sac. All of the other businesses in the street are definitely the type of establishment that you would not normally find a newspaper office sharing street space with, there's a laundromat, a tax accountant, a rather shady looking single story ramshackle shop with a faded sign promising, budget solicitors. And as you park your car, you see a plastic bag blowing across the asphalt and disappearing into the shadows of a nearby alleyway the footpath is empty this may be downtown but it is so far from the city center that this street at this time of night is deserted that said you still see lights on on the third floor of the talent Hall.
1: I go to the front door is there going to be any obstacle to my Advances.
0: Walk up to the front door. There is a sign hanging on the other side of the door. It simply reads closed. Come back tomorrow and you try to open the glass door and find that it doesn't budge. It is of course locked. A newspaper office of course would not be open for visitors at this time of night. Close to 10pm.
1: Alright, I'll knock on the door.
0: You knock loudly on the door. Bang! Bang! Your fist rapping on the glass. At first, you hear nothing. Then there's a burst of static. And you turn to the right and see a small... A small intercom speaker attached to the brick wall. Its label long ago faded away. And it has the look and... That's has the colour of, you know, electronics in the 1980s, how they have that sort of beige, beige creamy colour, and this indicates its age to you. You can hear a voice on the other side of the static, but it's hard to make out. You make out the words closed, not buying anything tomorrow, and then the static stops.
1: I knock again. Just bash, bash, bash.
0: Bash, bash, bash. Thump louder. Any louder, you break the glass. Intercom bursts to life again. And this time, the voice on the other end is noticeably irritated. You hear someone say, for a love of God! We're closed! Come back tomorrow! I ain't buying anything! And if you're lo- here looking for a hand out, uh, try the- f- try the law firm at the end of the street!
1: I press the intercom button. Your dark masters require an audience. There's silence
0: for a few moments. And so then the voice says, Dark masters? What kind of cryptic shit is... Oh, oh, you mean... You mean the vamps?
1: He's met with silence. The voice
0: says, Look, look, tell me one thing. Uh, did Annabelle send you?
1: I'm an agent of hers yet
0: all right all right i'll buzz you in hang on there's a burst of static and then you hear a loud beep and then you hear a click as the glass door unlocks
1: wonderful i will let myself in
0: pull open the door step inside into the dark reception lobby there's only two s- two fold out plastic chairs pressed against one of the walls. On the opposite wall, a notice board that has nothing pinned on it. The reception desk is tidy, so tidy it looks like it's barely ever manned. The Taladol clearly doesn't have many visitors. Look around, you see the staircase leading up, and as you begin to make your way up it, you are met on the landing of the second floor by an overweight, double-chinned man with wiry blond hair and... glasses. He looks down at you, narrowing his eyes, and he says, Oh, yep, Dark Master's alright. Ain't you something out of a fucking horror movie.
1: Thank you for your hospitality, sir. Now I believe we have business to address.
0: He holds out a hand with bulbous salami-like fingers, brushes it on the front of his blue shirt with, a ma- with the magazine's logo stamped on it, holds out his hand to you and he says, uh, I'm a Scotty Cut, right? A editor-in-chief here until recently, uh, only writer as well.
1: Take a glove out of my pocket and put it onto my hand and- You shake his hand. You notice him
0: frown. He looks a little put out by your need. To... Looks a little put out by your need to wear gloves while shaking his hand. And then he gestures towards the staircase leading up to the third floor, and he says, "Well, uh, now that uh, formalities are concluded, uh, if you c- would uh, just like to step into my office," and he gestures for you to climb the stairs.
1: I step into his office.
0: Climb up the stairs, and there on the third floor, there is a hallway with a single door at the end of it. Wooden door to frosted glass window reading editor in stenciled letters. Walk towards it, push the door open, and enter a sparsely furnished room with plain wallpaper and no carpet. The light being nothing more than a single light bulb inserted into a roof fixture. The only furniture being a single desk in the centre of the room, one chair on either side of it, and a computer with the same creamy colour as the intercom. Clearly an ancient model. Take your seat in front of his desk, and Scotty comes in, he slams the door shut behind him, makes his way to the desk, and as he sits down in his chair, you hear the floorboards beneath you creak looks over at you, frowning, and he says, Now, uh, I suppose Annabelle's told you about, uh, Mr. Perez, and, uh, I haven't heard, of, heard from him for You've a lost few- lost an
1: intern, and you wish me to find him.
0: Well, um uh, yeah, I guess that's about, uh, the long, long and short of it, he says, shaking his-
1: Well, what information do you have for me?
0: He says, well, uh, Now, Annabelle's put a moratorium out on stories about vamps. I'm not allowed to write about that anymore. I understand this. He says, well, Perez, as much as I've tried to tell him to steer clear of that topic, well, without him asking questions every time I bring it up, I haven't been quite so lucky as to stop him from broaching that topic. So, the last month or so, he's been researching uh, this series of disappearances. You've probably heard about them. They've been all over the news. The proper news, I mean. If not that, at least Annabelle's probably told you something about it. He says, now, Perez has been writing the articles about the disappearances, but... I've been, uh, pulling my weight as the editor and keeping some, uh, juicy details out of the actual pages, things that I know Annabelle would, uh, just about have my head for if they got printed.
1: Yes, you, He
0: says, well, uh, he looks around from left to right as if he's nervous that he's being watched, and he says, well, now... I don't quite know or understand what your kind does when the, uh, what did Annabelle call it? The masquerade is broken. So, before I continue, it I want to know.
1: for all involved. Remember this.
0: Please make a manipulation intimidation check. <laughs> successes. He looks a bit taken aback. He frowns yet again, and he says, well, now, see, if I'm gonna tell you anything that would lead to Perez, I gotta be sure that you're not gonna, you know, kill him or drink him dry or something, and you're giving me the impression that you're not someone to be fucked with.
1: My time is expensive. And your life is cheap tell me what i need to know all right he says you see the color
0: immediately drain out of his face and then he chuckles nervously and smiles and he says all right let's see what i got here turns swivels in his chair grabs the computer mouse clicks the button you see the screen light up and he starts scrolling through a series of documents and he says uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, 13 people disappeared, all of them disappeared in the vicinity of, uh, the, the abandoned orphanage down, uh, on the edge of South Side and East Side, and... Ah! Here! One of the missing persons was found, and Perez, well, he must have some friends, because he got the autopsy report from the police department. I've got it here on the computer, and even wrote about, even wrote about it to include in his article. I sneakily deleted that part. He tur- grabs the monitor and spins it around so that you can read it. It is indeed an autopsy report, notarized and signed by the coroner of the 64th Street Precinct. Um. It states that the missing person was identified due to dental records. Due to the state of the corpse, this was the only means to identify them. They were found in a dumpster about three blocks from the location where they were last seen before going missing. And appended is a series of notes essentially describing that... The body was found in such a state that it could barely be recognizable as human. There is more to the report, but you notice that it is not attached.
1: Seems I have to go pay the coroner a it?
0: Indeed, says Scotty. Perez tried to get the second part, but, uh, apparently...
1: Do you have the address of the one who wrote this?
0: I do, he says. Uh, you want to head down to the 67th precinct that's... Down there in Southside... I
1: take my notebook and all this down?
0: He says, now, before I send you out to, you know, to the police station, I, I gotta know you're not gonna go and... Eat cops or something? Are you? I mean,
1: you don't know who I am. I was never here. I cloud his memory, and I leave. Cloud his
0: memory, and as you see his eyes glaze over, you turn, leave the room before he recognises that you're even there. Silently, make your way out of the building, and as you push. Glass doors open, step out onto the street once again. I would like you to make a wits and awareness check, please.
1: No, that is two successes. Two successes?
0: As you step out onto the street, you instantly recognise that familiar feeling that you were being watched.
1: I activate my predator vision.
0: Activate your predator vision. The dim light around you suddenly bursts into bursts into enough luminescence to completely illuminate your surroundings you look from left to right and I would like you to please make a wits awareness check again and you may add protein. you may add your protein to us it. so awareness.
1: You know what, I'm going to rouse the blood to add the dice. Yep. Uh, I get hungrier? Yep. You have up to 2 hunger?
0: 2 hunger. You add 2 dice to your pool.
1: two three four five
0: six successes. Six successes compared to four successes. You look to your right and there in the dark alleyway between the laundromat and the tax accountant you see the source of the disturbance. A slender humanoid figure, possibly female, standing there. And as she notices you looking in her direction, she brushes the air with her right arm, and it is almost as if the darkness shifts to follow her. Tendrils of inky blackness wrapping themselves around her, attempting to hide her. But you've already spotted her.
1: I... step into my car as if I haven't seen her, um, and uh, start to slowly drive off. I'm keeping an eye on her in my view yep. mirror.
0: So, as the car slowly makes its way down the street, you watch the rear view mirror. As you reach the end of the street and look as if you're about to turn, away. You see the woman step out of the shadows. Once again, she brushes her hand, and it's as if the darkness, a thick black tendril of ink, follows her out of the alleyway, wrapping itself around her, and in the split second it takes to catch up with her, you notice there is a second figure following her, a man, by the
1: look of his
0: belt. The two of them immediately begin to make their way towards the Talent Hall office.
1: I flip the car, as I turn around the. Um, it looks like I'm going to turn around, and then I basically mash the, um, the steering wheel into a hard turn and accelerate. Now I'm going to blast them with the high beams and try and ram them with my car.
0: Very well. Please make a dexterity drive check. <laughs>
1: I'm putting tracking the high beams on as yep. hard as I can.
0: Yep. The tyres screech as you begin to barrel towards the figures turning on your high beams. The high beams instantly disperse the tendrils of darkness around the pair. The woman looks to you, her wild shoulder length blonde hair frazzled, her eyes going wide as her mouth begins to open and she attempts to throw herself out of the path of your vehicle. That is going to be a dice pool of five for her. That is one success for her. However, her companion, a brown skinned male with a bushy black beard, sees you coming. It looks to the right and his body appears to blur, as with supernatural speed. He rushes to the footpath, out of the path of your vehicle, running with supernatural speed. THUMP! You hit the woman, dealing two points of aggravated damage to her, as your,
1: that's the- do I, does she go, do I send her flying, or does she go under the path?
0: You send her flying the hood of your car crumples as it hits her leaving a noticeable dent in the front of your car your radiator begins to smoke as she goes flying slamming slamming into the brick wall of the newspaper office and crumbling to a heap on the footpath
1: what do you do i slam the car into the low gear and make another pass. This time I'm going to try and pin her up against the, the wall. Yep. Please make a dex drive check. Um, uh, that is a messy critical. Ooh, so that nice. is one, two, three, five successes total. Five successes.
0: Okay, you grab the wheel, spin it around, and slam your foot down on the pedal as you reverse, and as you see her start to climb to her feet, as you see her start to climb to her feet, you begin to barrel towards her once again, trying to pin her to the brick wall, and she is going to, let me just look something. Okay, she is going to... Sorry, let me just... Yeah, she's going to attempt to scramble out of the way. Before I roll for her, however, you hear Tap, 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 Footsteps running towards you. Turn to the right and you see the brown-skinned male rushing at you with supernatural speed. Held in his right hand is a wooden baseball bat. And he is going to use his, uh, use his blink to close the distance on you. And he leaps forwards. Grabbing the handle of your car door, pulling it open, and then raising the baseball bat and swinging it towards you. Uh, what would you like to do? Dodge, um, fight back.
1: Uh, I would like to rouse the blood. Uh, pass. I am going to flesh craft myself some goddamn armor. Um. So Basically, I'm just going to rage my armor and just see a massive bone shield start to extend in front of you. Yeah. Yep. Hold out your arm. Your bones crack. Wait, wait a second. I'm just going to see yep. how many. So it's protein plus. Uh, resolve. And I get a bonus dice from my thing. And that is critical. Cool. So I've got. I get up to my. uh Blood Dust, I'm gonna reduce my dexterity and my strength uh, down to one and get six points of armor. Six
0: points of armor, nice. The man throws himself into the passenger seat of your car. He raises the baseball bat, obviously expecting you to dodge. He's thrown off guard when you hold out your arm and hear a sickening crack as your bones begin to snap and coalesce into a shield. He hurls the baseball bat in the direction he thought you were going to dodge, but you're not there so it just slams into the windscreen of your car, shattering it. Then, with his left hand, he clenches his fingers into a fist and punches as hard as he can into your shield. That is going And he is going to make one Rouse check. That is a five. He fails. So he gets to roll with a dice pool of seven. That is five successes. His fist slams into your shield. And he deals no damage. Oh wait, no. He's allowed to... With his potence, he is allowed to uh, bypass an amount of armor points equal to his potence. So uh, he's using his potence. Uh, he's using, so lethal body, level one is passive, and it's just unarmed damage allows you to bypass armor equal to your potence. And then he's using prowess, which is what he roused the blood for, which just lets him add his potence. Right to the dice pool of an unarmed attack roll. So his fist slams towards your bone shield, shatters it, splintering the car with bones. Some of them spraying him, dealing one point, uh, dealing five points of superficial damage to him as as they shower him like little shards of glass. And he deals Five points of superficial damage to you as his fist finds your rib and snaps one of the bones. The man looks at you, his eyes red. Raises his fist again and he says, Put your foot on the brakes now!
1: Um, as we going towards the, um, Still heading
0: towards the woman, and you'll hit her unless you slam your foot on the brakes now.
1: Fuck you. I slam it on the accelerator going even faster, and I'm going to just smash all of us into the wall.
0: You slam your foot on the accelerator. The tires squeal. Now I should still have the armor. Yes, value. you do still have the armor value. Thump! Crash! The windscreen shatters, spraying you all with glass. Your armour withstands the impact of the glass, and the impact of hitting the wall. However, the man next to you is flung forwards through the windscreen. He hits the brick wall with a crack, and lands on your crumpled hood. Taking three more points of superficial damage, two of these turn into. Aggravated damage as you have exhausted his health tracker. He hisses as he rolls down your hood. The woman screams as the car slams into her, smashing her against the wall and pitting her, dealing... Let me check her stats. Is going to be, uh, let me see, dealing another 3 points of superficial damage to her of which of these two are transformed into aggravated damage as you exhaust her health tracker. She is pinned between your vehicle and the wall. The wall itself is cracked, there is a huge impact in it, several of the bricks have fallen out of the wall and are now scattered across the pavement as red shards. You briefly chance a glance up to the third floor and you can see the rotund, round silhouette of Scotty Cartwright pressed in the window, looking down at the carnage that is happening at the first floor of his building. The woman looks at you, her eyes glowing red in anger. Then she hisses. Then she says, What are you doing? I'll have you know I'm a hound of Damien. Release me. Reverse the car now or you will pay.
1: I pull one of my bone wood stakes. Um, how fucked up is the brown skin guy? He's
0: now rolled off your hood onto the floor next to you and he's just lying there, his hand clasped on the right side of his body. And as he, as he twists into a fetal position, you just hear him wince and go, Ah!
1: Um, step out of the wreck of my car. And I grab I grab the man and lift his head and chuck it under the bonnet of my car into the engine and I just Rev it as hard as I can, whatever the engine yep. he's face. So
0: as you grab him, he starts to struggle. Please make a strength brawl check. I will rouse blood
1: this. Uh, uh, I fell I'm at hunger three. Yep. But this will give me three uh, For That is two successes.
0: He got zero. A total failure for him. He struggles vainly. The potence that allowed him to deal you such a crushing blow before a seemingly left him in an instant. You grab him, press his head down in front of the wheel, on your, in front of the engine of your car, and as you press him down, you hear him... Squeal, "Uh, Alexa, help! He's gonna... You slam his head down into the engine and then stick your foot down onto the pedal. Revving the car as fast as you can. You hear the flesh burn and sear, dealing one point of aggravated damage to him black smoke pours out from your engine as the man's cheek flesh begins to be seared away. He screams in pain and you hear him shout, ALEXA!
1: I then slam him against the car and I sink my teeth into his neck and I drink and I drink and I drink. You drink and you drink and you
0: drink. Okay. Interesting. So, the woman is pinned and she's desperately going to struggle. She sees you bear your fangs and sees you about to leap on her companion. Her eyes go wide, her mouth forms into an O. She gasps and tries desperately to get out of the way, to free herself from where she is pinned. And that is going to be roll of six. For her. She's gonna rouse the blood. This gives her three extra dice, that is going to be eight. That is four successes. Uh, I want you to please make a... Three. No, four. Oh. critical. Cool... One's a blood doll. Blood dice one. Yeah. Um, I want you to please make a Dex athletics check to see if you are faster than her.
1: Uh, I will raise blood also. Yep. Six, I pass. One, two, three, four. Uh, That is one success. I will willpower that. Yep. And I will willpower that. Oh, uh, that's what, two, two willpower? Yep. I've got five willpower okay, left. So I've got plenty of willpower, yeah, so I'll, keep, so I'll keep burn up, another one. Burn
0: another one for it. Okay. Okay, yeah, that's enough. Okay. She frees herself, squirming, pulling herself from the gap between your crumpled hood and the destroyed brick wall, and you hear the metal of your creak as she pulls her body out over it but she's too slow you grab you leap onto her companion wrap your arms around his neck and just as you're about to feed she holds out a hand and she says stop don't
1: oh i fucking do it
0: you do it okay all right let's do this Let me go to a portion of the book I didn't think I would be using this early. Alright. So you're going to drink him. And as you sink your fangs into his neck, you feel the blood rushing through his veins towards you. And you suck it up sweet, sweet. Almost as sweet as Annabelle's, but something more rugged earthy to it. You drink deep. You may reset your hunger to one.
1: hunger is at one now.
0: Your hunger is at one? You drink and you drink until you see his skin go pale, then ashy grey, and he falls limp into torpor in your arms. Stop or Damien will hear of this, shouts the woman. You are attacking a hound off the sheriff!
1: I throw her a stake and I go, put it through your own heart. Or I finish. <laughs> Please
0: make a manipulation intimidation check. Uh,
1: two, three, four, five. Uh, Alright, willpower. Oh, that's four willpower of seven spent. Yep no three so, uh, that is now three successes
0: three successes. you toss her one of the uh, one of the elongated thorns from your garden, bark the command put this through your chest. she looks at you, realizes what you're about to do, realizes what you will do to her. She drops the thorn, climbs to her feet, looks from left to right. And then she raises her hands and she says, Let me go, and I swear I will not breathe a word through your heart. She looks at you, her face a mixture of anger and fear. And then she locks eyes with you she's going to attempt to read your aura three. I would like you to please make me a she is using scriber soul I'd like you to please make a composure plus sub- subterfuge check
1: I have both of those in spades Uh,
0: That is three successes. She gets a dice pool of six. She gets three successes. You feel her trying to intrude upon your mind, trying to learn your intentions. But you repel
1: her. I suck just a little bit harder so she can see uh, that she's on the cusp of what I'm going to do to her companion. She
0: gasps and her wild When you first saw her, she had the look of someone who was wild. Almost as violent as you, but now she looks like a terrified girl. Her bottom lip trembles, and she says, If I stake myself, what are you going to do to me?
1: I just look her in the eye, and I'm just draining him dry while she speaks. She just doesn't have much time left.
0: Okay. I would like you...
1: So, to clarify, you now have a torpid, you are diabolizing him. I don't want to push him over the edge just yet, but I want to...
0: continue sucking, and the blood is gone. You're sucking nothing, but then... Something sweet. Sweeter than blood. You stop sucking for a moment. Lick around your mouth. There is no liquid. You're sucking nothing. You're sucking something intangible, and that's when you realize you are drinking the man's very soul. Please make
1: well, another. I, I don't want to sink him, drink, drink him just yet. Not yet.
0: Please make another manipulation intimidation check. This time, you get an X. Ex- you get two extra dice to the dice pool.
1: that is three four successes
0: the girl looks from the stake in front of her to the left to the alleyway she's clearly weighing up her choices she could either stake herself or make a break for it then she looks at you reaches the stake curling her lips, wincing as she lifts it, clearly acting against all her better judgement. She slams the huge thorn into her chest, she gasps. gasps, her skin turns ashen, her limbs go rigid, stiff, and then she topples backwards off the hood of your car, onto the
1: concrete with a thump, torpid. I grab one of the other steaks, and I drive it through there. Um, man, I was going to drink dry. Yep, grab
0: another steak, slam it into his chest. As you slam it into his flesh, some of it crumbles away like ash, and you have to dig, dig into his chest. He's already starting to desiccate, to turn dry like bone. that. Close to pushing him over the edge. And then what do you do? <sighs>
1: I call Annabelle.
0: You grab your phone as the smoke billows from the front of your car, as your car's security system keeps beeping. <laughs> phone rings and rings and rings. And then there's a click. You hear Annabelle say, Darling? Have you been to see Scotty yet?
1: Yes, I have. It was most enlightening. Make sure no police make their way to... How was the... The... Uh, the... The The... the, the what was the, um, the address?
0: Ah, you just give her the address, address.
1: of the all. Make sure the police stay away. From this address. And I require a car. My last one broke.
0: Broke? Darling darling what's happening i just heard damien say he's dispatched some hounds apparently somebody's been leaking information well we all know about this but damien's got a damien's uh figured out what's going on and has sent his hounds and alexa (laughs) said that she had an idea who was leaking the information she seems to almost read your mind it's almost as if You can see the picture forming in her head. And then she says, Oh Oh my lord, darling, Alexa and Alexa and Zion They're still alive,
1: just in my custody. She
0: says, Well what are you going to do with them? But then she and then thinking better of herself, she says actually actually no, forget I asked that, darling. I don't want to mention to Damien that I have any inkling what happened to two of his hounds. Do with them as you wish. It's got nothing to do with me, darling. I'll send a car to your address momentarily. The phone clicks as she hangs up. (laughs) While you wait for the replacement car, is there anything you do with your two
1: new friends? I just take a moment and I just... ...roar into the air just basking in the rush of dominance, the rush of being in charge.
0: (laughs) As you bask in the glory, you notice that the man, Zion, as Annabelle called him, is wearing a backpack, and in the scuffle it has been torn open and hanging out of the rip on the side you see a green folder with a logo for the 67th precinct police department stamped on its spine
1: wonderful well i'll go pull it out and i leaf through it Pull it out, and as you wait for the new car to arrive, you begin to leaf
0: through it until, ah, there it is the missing, appended part of the coroner's report describing the state of the discovered body. The coroner doesn't seem to have the words to describe what he or she has seen. Into the best of his or her ability, the coroner describes that the body for all intents and purposes, is nothing more than a mass of flesh and bone in unusual form and structure. As if somebody has literally broken the person's body apart, deconstructed it to its constituent parts, and then haphazardly welded it all back together as they pleased. It also remarks two particular things of interest. That one, within this body, as it were, the coroner did not find a single drop of blood. Furthermore, the internal organs, all except the heart, had been turned into what is described, for lack of a better term, as black gooey mush. Beep beep! You look over your shoulder, see headlights turning around the corner and slowly coming down the street, and sure enough, a replacement car has arrived. You see, driving it, a nervous looking kindred, obviously high generation, a Toreador. Based on the stylish leather jacket and slicked hair, he looks at you, surveying the carnage, and then he shrugs, stops the car, which you now notice is an exact replica of your previous model, steps out, gestures towards it, and says, Annabelle said I shouldn't ask questions, and now that I've seen what's here, I don't want to. Have fun! He just says, as he gestures towards the vehicle.
1: Thank you. I, I, I reach my hand out for the keys. He holds out his hand with the keys, drops them into the palm of your hands.
0: And then he says, well, uh, have fun, or whatever it is you're doing, I shan't ask. It's above my pay grade. And the said that this would get me a boon. And... Well, I'm beginning to think I should be happy, with just a boon. With that, he turns and begins to whistle as he calmly begins to walk down the street back the way he came.
1: I chuck the hounds in my car. And I drive them back to the Haven, not my estate on, um, uh, i oh, sorry, my, my house at Annabelle's estate, but the, the, the Coterie's
0: Haven.
1: Yes. Okay. I call ahead to see if there's anybody actually there. You call, you
0: climb into the car, you make sure both of the hounds are firmly secured in the boot of the car. And then you begin to make your way back out of downtown back onto overpass 90 and towards not the south side where the abandoned orphanage is or where your personal haven is but back to the west side anarch territory and where the coterie's haven remains as you turn off the overpass and make your way down into the urban jungle Southside Chicago abandoned buildings lying on the sides of the road you dial the number for Rogers phone in his office not his mobile his landline the one that he will most certainly answer if he is there it rings it rings it rings it rings and then it beeps and the line drops the Haven is vacant
1: drive into the Hague, and drag my new acquaintances into the kitchen.
0: Drag the torpid forms of Alexa and Zion up the concrete driveway towards the back door of the abandoned house. And then you push it open, and as soon as the door opens, you hear the dogs inside <laughs> growling as you step into the twilight and pull both of the torpid forms inside dragging them along the dusty linoleum and leaving them in front of the cage where your dogs drool salivating licking their mouths simultaneously growling and yelping with pleasure. They think you brought them a treat to
1: eat. Jekyll, Jekyll, Baskerville, sits. The dog sits, instantly,
0: goes silent and just stares at you, yellow eyes bulging with curiosity and hunger.
1: I reach into my coat and pull out a scrap of the fruit. Save so for my experiment and throw it to the dog.
0: Toss the scrap of fruit, fruit through the bars. The three dogs growl. <laughs> so they immediately converge upon it, tearing it to shreds. But there's just enough blood contained within to satisfy them. They lick their lips, go silent, and then immediately curl up and go to sleep.
1: I then pull a single chair out and place it in front, well up against the wall, and I sit the. What was the name of the Alexa? Alexa is the female. Zion I I the Alexa into the chair and I begin my work. I'm, I'm going to rouse the block. Go ahead. I go to hunger two. two. And I'm activating flesh crafting. And
0: what are you going
1: to do to dear Alexa? I am going to restrain her to the chair using her own body. I twist her legs around this chair, I meld her into the chair. She is now, for all intents purposes, part of the chair. Ah, the old Zamizy technique of making furniture.
0: Living furniture. Indeed, she is now melded with the chair. The chair is part of her body. Her blank, emotionless face just stares at you, blissfully unaware of the
1: nightmarish horrors that are being inflicted upon it. I grab the stake and pull it out, slowly. You slowly
0: pull the stake out. You feel her body begin to tremble. And then as the stake comes loose, you hear her gasp as she wakes up. Then, she lurches forwards, clearly trying to either leap at you to attack or to escape. All she manages to do is topple over, both her and the chair clattering onto the floor. Her head swings from left to right. I can't, I can't move, she groans, and then she looks down, sees that she can't see her legs, sees that something is wrong with her body, she looks up at you. face a mask of terror and she says what what have you what have you done to me
1: nothing i can't undo if you please me i ain't you right now well to be honest now you're a piece of furniture i mean crude and i had to base it upon something else carpentry was never my forte However, for my purposes, right now, it will suffice. She
0: looks at you and... she... her mouth strains, and she stammers out a word. Zimisi! Yes. She says, then... you're the one behind... the missing people in Zion's report! And that means you've been feeding information to the man at the tell it all you've been putting all of us at risk
1: feeding information so what information has come across
0: she looks at you and she says over the last few nights there have been a number of strange Messages made to several kindred, attempts at blackmail, threatening of their touchstones from a mysterious foe. That information had to come from somewhere. It was Damien's digging that brought up the connection between Mr. Cartwright at the Tulladall and Annabelle. Perhaps Annabelle does not realize she is putting everyone. At risk, by passing along information to that mortal, she has put all of us in danger. He must be the one behind the threatening of the touchstones. As she says this, you can't help but stifle a laugh. If she had seen Scotty Cartwright, she would know he can't be the mastermind of anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh...
0: She says, you're going to kill me because Zion and and I found you. You were there because, well, you were there on Annabelle's orders to give more information to Mr. Cartwright. And, well, by now you've surely read the coroner's report, the state that that body was found in. that was the work
1: of a Zemisi. Yes. Yes, sir. Tell me, what does Damien know? And by the way, the only person that can free you from your predicament right now is myself. So no funny business. Cooperate right with me. She looks at you and she says,
0: Damien knows that somebody is threatening Touchstone." That somebody is contacting Kindred's Touchstones and threatening to expose their masters if they do not do as the blackmailer says. So far, Horatio Bellard, Alan Sovereign, and even Critias have been contacted by this person. Whoever it is has some balls, she speak- She spits at you, and you pick up a slight note of admiration in her voice.
1: I'm not the fan of prettier, so are
0: She says, Oh, learn the traditions, and learn the traditions, and basically pretend to be mortal. Oh, well, I guess it keeps us all alive, but she looks at you and she says, I see the look in your face. You're just like me. The Red Mist. You love the Red Mist, don't you?
1: I think the conversation should stay away from me. For the moment. Let's talk about you. And let's talk about him. i point to the
0: she looks over at him and she says Zion nothing lick came from Gary thought he wanted to get his foot in the door in Chicago Damien said he might bring him on as a hound assigned him to me as an assistant so he means nothing to you then she says to be honest when I got the chance, I was going to try to pin something on him and have the excuse to deal with him myself.
1: Mm. So you wouldn't mind if I finished him off, then?
0: Go ahead, she says. I won't begrudge you that. If anything, you earned it. She says. I was going to take it, take him for myself, but there will be others. Many new licks every night. The Anarchs know nothing of the traditions. They continue embracing riffraff. I'm sure it won't be long before Damien decides to assign me another. She says, hounds. Yes, attack dogs. Well, Damien likes to think we investigate. Me? Me? Well, I thought, I'm a hound. I'm an attack dog. That means I get to kill things. I get to find the red mist. And hey, who else is going to trust a milk to be doing any of the dirty, any of the important work in this city anyway? A hound is all I have. wonder what to do both with her and
1: with Zion. Well, the sheriff will probably kill me if he finds out I attacked his attack dogs.
0: That's but... the thing, she says, looking at you. He doesn't have to find out. Clearly, she is willing to try to bargain for her own life here.
1: Tell me, if you could pick any flower to be in the world, what would it be? What is your flower?
0: She looks at you and says, FLOWER?
1: See, some way. Find endearing on the torridor. is that before I were to ask a Torridor that question the clichéd answer of the roses I find that rose boring A corpse flower corpse flower she says maybe Well, maybe iris dragon stuff there is, there is so many out there what would say what do Malcavians say when I asked her that question? She looks at you and she says hmm, Malcavians? Well,
0: you'll have a different answer from everyone you ask. What but was me answer? was always partial to nightshade. Pretty like me, but also deadly like me, she says, smiling. I don't have any nightshade in my garden. Isn't that a shame, she says. Perhaps if you restore the function of my limbs, I could find some for you.
1: Ah. Uh. My one final question. What generation are you? She looks at you
0: and she says, You mean what generation was I originally or what am I now?
1: What are you now? Both. She
0: says, Was embraced as 14th, worked my way up to 12th. She says, then I was granted a boon and now I'm 11th. She says, in fact, she tries to lock her eyes with you.
1: I slap her across the face.
0: You slap her across the face and she just groans. She says, it was worth a try. From Gary. Wasn't going to. wasn't going to be. you know. a long lasting meal, as they say, but I've developed a taste for it, and at this point, anyone's good enough. her mouth to say something that doesn't get the words out as you slam the stake back into her. The breath leaves her mouth. And she just goes still, her pale skin once again, breaking down into the consistency of grey ash. Now what do you do?
1: I... Release her from her bonds of the, um... actually, no, I won't release her from the chair. I put her back. I actually want well, to, there's a razz blood again. Yep. Uh, I got to hunger three. Hunger three, yep. I'll feed from her. I'll take, um, enough to put myself down to hunger one.
0: Yep. You suck her dry. She has no blood left and even if she was not staked she would be in torpor her blood tastes bitter spicy like like somebody has ruined a perfectly good pasta sauce by pouring a bottle of Tabasco in it Uh As you drink her, as you wrap your arms around her, bite into her neck, and then throw her back down onto the linoleum once she is drunk dry, she thumps onto the floor and a scrap of paper falls out of her right coat pocket.
1: Uh, I read the scrap of paper.
0: Unfold it. It has only a few words written on it, it says Roger Maxwell, Ventruthuck, meet him in the red mist soon. Yeah. Roger Maxwell.
1: Your coterie member. Yes. See him in the red mist soon. Hmm. I pocket the piece of paper. Um. I drive them back to the estate. There, I'll have use for them in my garden. (laughs)
0: You park your car outside your estate, take a few moments to carry both of them into your cabin, and then shove them under your bed into the darkness, where they will be hidden for the time being. Would you like to attend to them now? Or would you like to go to this abandoned orphanage, where people have disappeared? And meet this Zamesi,
1: who is apparently at large. I do so. Yes. Take one last look at your prisoners. So, yep. I spend some time managing my appearance to make sure I look as regal
0: as possible. Yeah. Do you use your vicissitude to add any notable features that you want a me see to recognise?
1: Yes. I will as I said, add manipulations to my ears. So it is as I said, though I fuse the low to my head point the top and have it sort of curling on um to the unsuspecting eye would perhaps look like some body art, something a plastic surgeon might do, but to someone that knows that has an eye for craftsmanship.
0: Please rouse the blood.
1: No, I am at
0: two. You add you will receive while you have this body modification an extra two dice to any social pulls you make while communicating with a zamisi. A shared kinship that will be recognized. This takes you about an hour and just the clock ticks as the hand turns, ticks over the number 12 midnight. Take one last look at your prisoners. Kick them to make sure that they are not in a position to move and then climb into your new car and make your way to the edge of south side and east side to the abandoned saint augustine saint augustine's orphanage the epicenter of all the disappearances according to the police reports and information from the tell it all the place that is in the very centre of all the disappearances, triangulated as the most likely source of their origin, the most likely hideout of the person responsible. And so, after a a drive that takes you about 30 minutes, most of which you spend on the highway, lost in your thoughts as you see the glass towers of downtown pass you by as you see the harbour and urban decay of the south side move along below you as the inky black void that is Lake Michigan fills up the horizon and you make your way off the overpass down into the east side of Chicago A place on the very edge of the Camarillas' territory. A place that is the very limits of what could be called Chicago. If you were to drive much further than this, you would leave Chicago. You would leave Illinois entirely and enter the urban wasteland between Chicago and Gary. The hunting grounds of the Lupines. Just on the very edge of this urban wasteland, flanked on one side by a seemingly endless expanse of grey warehouses, concrete lots and car yards, flanked by the highway that leads to Gary, and on the other side by the black void of Lake Michigan see Saint Augustine's Orphanage. It was clearly once a church, turn-of-the-century gothic design, something that would have been built when Chicago was nothing more than a few streets, a telephone pole, and some buildings. Now, in the obvious decades of its abandonment, it has fallen Almost into ruin, the once intricate carvings—the faces of the saints and biblical figures, the demonic snarls of the gargoyles that flank the that flank the pillars outside the front entrance—have long ago wasted away. The details are missing; their faces now nothing
1: more than featureless stone.
0: Park your car,
1: and, and I step yep. out. You step out into, into. The yard, and of then this I, place. And I just stand in front of the doorway, and I call out. I seek your hospitality.
0: You step out, walk up to the crumbling, thick wooden doors notice that they've long ago broken off their hinges they are ajar you can see beyond the threshold the blackness I inside i don't step the
1: threshold but you can
0: see inside you can see the i don't even look don't even look inside yep, you even I, look inside. I you just call out
1: yeah I, I wish to enter your domain i seek your hospitality though i will not cross its bounds there is unless you give me your permission
0: I would like you to please make a Charisma Etiquette check.
1: Uh, plus two for the... Plus two,
0: yes. Uh,
1: so two to the three, two to the five. Uh, that's dice.
0: Three successes. There is silence for a moment, you listen. You hear the sound of collapsing wood a crash. And then you see a rat scuttling between one room beyond the threshold into another across a decrepit hallway. Then you hear from somewhere deep within the confines of the building a pained groan. And then a voice simply saying, shut your mouth. Or I will remove it. <coughs> there is no direct answer to your query.
1: Hmm. I see you have a plaything, I And if I hazard a guess. You are my sire. So I repeat my request. Will you grant me entry? There is
0: silence, once again punctuated by groans of pain. What have you, what have you done to me? Where are my arms? Silence. You will fulfill your purpose as a meal, and then you will meet final death. A female voice. As for you, she says. You, lurking out there, I know who you are. You may step into my haven, temporary as it may be.
1: but is yours nonetheless, and I step the, uh, I step the threshold once I have her permission.
0: You step through the threshold, into the darkness, into what was once. The reception room of the orphanage, chairs and coffee tables long away crumbled into dust, a desk that has been piled with wooden crates, most of them empty, and beyond it another door, another open doorway, the wooden door long ago having rotted off its hinges, a faded sign above the top simply reading, church? personnel only. I'm through here, says the female voice in a sing-song style. Push past the reception area, briefly look down the hallway that leads off from this area to what would have once been the rooms for the children sequestered here. The hallway itself has been completely blocked off by a pile of debris collapsed. You look up, sure enough you see a gaping hole in the roof where the moon and the stars shine down, giving light to the inside of the orphanage. You step through the staff-only entrance into pitch blackness, laughs Laughs the female. Help me, please, says the voice. My eyes
1: go, go green as I activate.
0: Your eyes go green as you activate your predator's vision. And there, in what was once the staff room, the office of the orphanage matron, you see a sight. You see what would have once been a man. At least based on its face. The face of a man currently contorted into an expression of utter pain and terror. That is the only thing of it that remains human. The body is nothing more than a cylinder of flesh, about four feet tall, perfectly round, bone serving as a spout at the very top, where little red drops drip out. You like my blood keg? says the female voice.
1: I go over and I examine it. He says, Fine work.
0: You examine it, and it is indeed what she described it as a blood keg. If you were to use such crude terms, it looks as if somebody skinned a man draped it over a cask of wine, and grafted a spout out of their bone, and then haphazardly attached the person's head on the front just for shits and giggles. Clop, clop, you hear footsteps. What sounds like high-heeled shoes echoing on a floor, You think back to your past life, back when you ran in the circles of the rich and famous, the sound of somebody, a sophisticated person, on their way to a business meeting. And out of the shadows steps a slender woman, about half a foot shorter than you, clad in a figure-hugging grey business suit, her legs bare save for the white high-heeled shoes that she wears on her feet. She has pale blonde hair cut into a shoulder-length bob. Her face is stunningly beautiful, though you notice several tell-tale signs that vicissitude has been used in order to attain this state. She says the blood keg has a name don't you mr perez the blood keg winces she smiles and she says mr perez thought he would write articles about my business here in the city well i had to put a stop to that couldn't have that information getting out some information yes that information most certainly not. Can't have any of the camarilla tracking me down. Not when I may be the only member of the Black Hand left in this city. She looks at you, she looks you up and down, and she says, And you, Alexander Borgra, Revenant from one of the revenant families as I've come to learn. Am I correct?
1: As I've come to learn, indeed. She says,
0: true, it is true that my pack were destroyed in the early days of the Inquisition. Few of them survived the lupine attack of the early 90s. The bishops and the elders of my sect may be out of touch, but I remain in this city and my mission probe the Camarilla for weaknesses, to disrupt their influence, remains the same. But should I tell you of that mission? She says. She appears to think for a moment, then she shrugs. And she says, go on, take a sip of the blood keg, I think you will find it to your liking.
1: I. Is there an obvious point to draw from it?
0: There does not appear to be. Um, you see drops of blood coming from the spout, but you don't see like any lever or anything that you could pull to make the blood spill out.
1: I do. I just sink my teeth into it.
0: You can if you want. No,
1: I am asking this. Oh. help
0: She smiles and she says, "Huh." <laughs> TWO YEARS YOU HAVE BEEN OF CLAN ZAMISI and yet you insist on feeding in such a s- primitive, primal way. She says, grab his right ear, pull it as if you
1: were turning the knob on a cask of wine. Mm-hmm. Is, there go- is there like anything resembling go- like a goblet or something around?
0: You look around. And there, placed on a mattressless bed frame, is a brass goblet. Its surface covered in grime. Clearly a remnant from the church days. May I take my lady's cup? She shrugs, she reaches over,
1: hands it to you. I twist the ear and hold the blood the spout. To the cup under the spout. Twist the ear
0: the man
1: Perez screams Ah as
0: blood begins to pour from the bone spout into your cup until the cup is full you let go of the ear Perez
1: winces Ugh! Uh! Help someone help me for the love of God I take a drink What is the taste of You drink it
0: the taste is Unusual. At first it is nothing, but like a well-aged wine. Takes a while to catch up on you. It builds and builds until sweet taste trickles down your throat. Something akin to Annabelle. It is kindred blood. So it refreshes it then. It does. It resets you. You may remove one hunger.
1: Back down to one. I. place the gullet down, okay. Your process is refined.
0: Perhaps not, she says, shrugging. She says, no human could li- live long in this state. No, Perez here is one of us. Well, she I says, think, yeah, his form. look down at his pitiful form, and she says, do not pity him for long. Soon he will meet his final death. She says, you see, I can no longer drink the vitae of the mortals. I must subsist upon the blood of the Canites. and yet the blood bond, I shall not, I with the death of my pack, I find myself freed from one vinculum, and shall not simply enter into another. And then me? she looks at you, and she so says...
1: You see confusion across my face as she says Blood bond.' As I don't really have a concept of what that is.
0: Yeah. that uh, I
1: don't say anything, I just look at her. She looks back at you, and she says...
0: I take who I think will not be missed. I embrace them. I drink my fill. It sustains me for a few months, perhaps slightly longer. When I am done, I leave them out in the sun and dispose of them. She looks at you and she says, do you understand now
1: why you were embraced? Yes, I believe I am an errant pig. She nods and she says,
0: yes the night of your embrace this would have been your fate had the inquisition not learned of where i happened to be you where i happened to be residing at the time and they if they did not storm my temporary haven if i did not have to flee and if you were not taken into their custody then you would be long dead by now and no one would be aware of my existence in this city. The Camarilla would be blissfully unaware that the black
1: hands still exist right under their noses. On the tip, the Sheriff of Scorpio said, perhaps time to relocate.
0: She says, Indeed. We'll drink what is left of Perez, and I will move on. I was planning for him to be the last anyway. She says, tell me, The sheriff is sniffing around. What has drawn his attention?
1: Mm. Disappearances in a concentrated area. She says, well, naturally. And... Autopsy reports. One of yours didn't get claimed by the sun, clearly. I hand her the police file. She takes it, looks over at it, she smirks,
0: and she says, Hmm, I shall have to pay the police department a visit. Also, no one would know nothing if Perez here had not decided to look into it. The sheriff and his hounds would be busy looking into the matter of the blackmailers, the one threatening their
1: touchstones. She smirks. You to be rather knowledgeable on the matter.
0: She says, Indeed. Tell me, have you heard of a Banu Hakim by the name of Walter Nash? Why, I have. She says, yes. She says, your coterie may or may not know. The reason Nash is being persecuted is because while he was tempting fate in a hunter bar, he drank the daughter of of a man named Redwood. A man who was once of the Second Inquisition, kicked out due to his intention to make public the existence of our kind, to start a public insurrection against us, but still holding in his heart the need to destroy us all. It was I who approached Nash, it alerted him, that the bar in question was a hunter bar knowing that it would pique his curiosity he has been persona non grata in this city for decades he did not recognize me or my clan thought me to be nothing more than a neonate perhaps a ventrue the clan that he so clearly aspires to be and then when he had done the deed It was I who contacted Redwood and passed on the information that Walter Nash was the one who killed his daughter, thus setting this entire string of events into motion.
1: Well, you've thrown a spanner in the works. Mm.
0: She says, indeed, the Camarilla are so... Struggling to figure out what is happening, they scramble around like headless chickens, little knowing that it is a member of the Black Hand who undermines them, who undermines this pathetic weakling of a prince they have in this city. Mm. She looks at you and she says, oh, but forgive me. I was so much enjoying the chance to divert, divulge my plans to someone like-minded that I did not even introduce myself. She holds out a hand. At the end of it, you see perfectly manicured, sharp black
1: nails, and she says, "Wendy Wade." I remove my glove and my thin, bony fingers wrap around her hand. Borga, there you are. You us. She smiles, and she says, well,
0: Borgra, if I am to have a childer, I shall make use of that childer. I do not know how loyal you are to Annabelle, she says the name with such disdain, but if you are willing to be loyal to your sire, then indeed you are well placed for me to take advantage of you. And we shall have some fun together. Um, no. She says, Well, continue as you are. Pretend you have not met me. Claim that you found Perez and dealt with him as an example of upholding the masquerade. Let your coterie focus on their own business. Let the Camarilla scramble to find Redwood before he ruins the mall by divulging everything on the internet. And when the time comes, when the time comes, when the prince is at his weakest, and there is a chance to sweep away the Camarilla from this once great city. I will seek you out. And from then on, there will be no loyalty to Annabelle, none to the Prince, none even to your coterie. You will be loyal to me, and I alone.
1: I don't say a word.
0: She says, of course, do not ask of this without nothing in return. I am your sire, after all, and you are a useful child is within my vested interests to keep you safe. So, consider me at your beck and call for all sirely, motherly matters as they arise. Any assistance you require.
1: You're
0: she says, "So, what will it be? Will you, will you, become your sire's child, or do we simply turn, head our separate ways into the night, forget we ever met, or do we test each other here and now?" One's a Miesi to be left in Chicago, the other to be a blood keg.
1: she can call contact me on and hand it to her. She takes it. I have made no agreement to anything as of yet. However, if you need to contact me, I will be there. And then I leave.
0: Before you leave, she reaches into her reaches into her breast pocket, hands you a late nineteen nineties model cell phone. And she says, This there's one number in it. It is mine. Should you require my assistance? She trails off. And then she turns her back to you. She says, do as you wish with the blood keg. I will make another. And she steps into the shadows. And as she does, you see the darkness coalesce around her. Tendrils of inky blackness. Just like those commanded by... ...Alexa wrap around her, disguising her, and she seems to merge into the darkness itself. And then, seconds later, you are left alone.
1: I drag the blood cake out, chuck it in the boot, and it to my collection.
0: <laughs> the boot will say more like the back seat. But you've managed to fit it in your
1: path. Make the long drive back to. Oh, if I need to make some modifications to fit in the boot, I will. <laughs> Very well. Would you like me to rouse the block? Go ahead.
0: Ten. Using. Using your flesh crafting powers, now fueled by healthy dose of inspiration seeing what they can accomplish you compress perez's body down he screams "Ah!" every second of the process as you shrink him down to half size his bones snap his skin squelches as everything is pressed together into a mass roughly the size of a cardboard cask of wine toss it into the boot of your car and then make your way back to your haven once again lost in thought when you return to your haven there is a matter of your prisoners in addition to your blood casts, which should keep you well fed at least for a time you have alexa and zion at your mercy before we end this sub
1: episode,
0: what do you plan to do to them, or with
1: them at least? Well, for now? well, the time my end, I do not have what appears to be any prisoners left. However, in the corner of my garden, Blooms. Nightshade. It was not there the night before.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, that accounts for Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) There is nightshade in your garden, where there was none before. Zion, do you wish to finish him? He will not raise your generation, but...
1: Ah, uh, him. I've got some experimentation I wish to do with him. I'm. The word hound has got me thinking. I wish to do an experiment with my dogs and see if, with a little bit of combination, Bit of to together in that little magic touch of vicissitude. I can make a hound of my own. <laughs> <laughs> Please rouse the blood for me. Uh, that's a fail. That is a fail.
0: You gain a hunger. However, before the night ends, before the night ends, as you admire the nightshade in your garden. As the rays of dawn begin to pierce the night sky, you once again return to the Coterie's Haven, pulling Zion's torpid form through the back door, just as the sun begins to rise. And there, in the hour or so that you manage to stave off the day sleep, you get to work. Select one of your dogs, and when you are done, when the day's sleep overtakes you, you have ready to serve you a new tool, a new friend half man, or, more accurately, half kindred, half dog. However, in its torpid form, less kindred and more more akin to a ghoul than anything, you have something whose name that you only You have something whose name was, until tonight, only a meaningless word stamped in your memory, taken without context out of the books on your clan. Tonight, you have created a Voj. And that concludes this sub-episode. You gain two experience points. You gain a mauler in your sire. She is a single dot mauler. You gain a single dot of herd for the blood keg, at least as long as it lasts. And so, at the start of every session, rather than continuing with your current blood total, you may choose to start at hunger one. However, eventually the blood keg will be drunk dry and will need to be put out to pasture. And, perhaps most importantly, you have your Vojd, a three-star retainer. That concludes this episode. Thank you to everyone who tuned in for this interesting and, might I say, monstrous session. Alzamisi, it appears, is beginning to embrace the nature of his clan and become. A monster among
1: monsters. Goodbye, everyone.